This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. Welcome to the show, Rishi. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Now, I think a place that we have to start here is I think one of the most interesting things about you is that you're providing a service, freelancing, consulting, and you're doing it all around a single page on an e-com site. I feel like a lot of people are going to think of that and be like, that is crazy that you're devoting all of this time to just one page. How did that singular focus become a thing for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question. I actually, I get this question from uh, clients all the time as well. And I think there's a, it's, it's important to get into it. As you kind of alluded to, not only do I work on just one page, I work on a very specific type of page, which is the product page. But I think what readers and listeners really care about is why, where, where, where is this coming from? So there are two things to mention over here that I think are material. Number one, I've been doing conversion optimization for the last 13 years. So I've been walking in the wilderness and I just know every leaf. I know every trap, every everything that can happen. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part of it is that I have a God-given gift to be incredibly lazy. I am an energy maximizer. So when I find something that statistically produces good results with the least amount of effort, I double down on it, then I triple down on it, then I quadruple down on it, and I never just stop. And so that's really how we got to the product page. And the story is that, you know, 13 years ago, I didn't have a horse in this race. I, I didn't even care about product pages. I didn't even really know what a product page really was. All I knew was that clients had this really interesting problem. And I remember I'm talking about 13 years ago, it's a long time ago, but at that point there was this narrative out there that a conversion rate of an e-commerce website is around two or 3%. And this was like a common statistic out there. It was kind of well-known and it was almost like a, like a glass ceiling. Like, you know, if you get a two or 3% conversion rate, you're good, that's fine, that's, that's normal, don't freak out. And I always kind of thought about that and I thought about that being as a weird thing. I was like, why, how can we collectively decide that 97% of people not converting is kind of okay, it's fine. At that point, advertising costs were incredibly low as well, so it didn't really matter. Um, e-commerce expectations were low, so like all of my clients were traditional retailers that had an e-commerce division, which was like the stepchild anyway. It was like 4% of their overall business sales, so they didn't really care. Um, but I figured that it was still an important problem worth solving, and the fact that all of this data was being collected in analytics told me that it was actually a solvable problem. I didn't have to go to the chief marketing officer and say, you know, why are these 97% of people not converting? I can just like get access to the analytics data, study it and figure it out. So my purpose was actually had nothing to do with product pages. My purpose was I had this mortal enemy of crappy converting websites and I wanted to kind of go after this. And as any good investigator would do, we went to the homepage, we went to the category page, we went to the checkout flow. We looked at the mobile traffic, the desktop traffic. We looked at traffic, you know, the conversion rate by traffic source, and we tested all of it. And for the for the first six years of my business, I was just like a like a maniac, just testing everything that that had enough traffic to run a successful test with. And some of them, some of the tests would succeed, most of the tests would fail, and. I kind of like at some point started thinking to myself that, hey, I should also do some testing on product pages. 
And this is when I discovered that something really weird was happening, something that I'd never seen before, which was that I was able to, with a high degree of confidence, predict the outcome of a test. So I would make predictions all the time, but most of my predictions were wrong. Um, so if I would test something on the homepage, I would have this beautiful hypothesis. We would test it, totally fall flat on its face. Um, but on the product page, I noticed that we were getting good prediction outcomes. Also, I noticed that we were having bigger sustained improvements in conversion rates than what we had ever had on the homepage or any other part of the website. And that's when I started realizing that there's something here unique that's happening on the product page that I need to focus on. And being incredibly lazy, I kind of basically continued focusing on that. And then at some point, it became the only thing we did, which is what brings us to this podcast. I think there's a lot that uh, we in the industry understand about the importance of a product page, but there's so much else on the site that brands care about, and specifically a new brand that's getting started. They want their brand vibe, their essence, their voice, and, and a lot of these other pages pop up, home pages, about us pages, all sorts of content you could be creating. And so for someone who's maybe new to the game or hasn't given it as much thought as you, what specifically is it about the product page that makes it so important? Yeah, that's that, and that really gets to the heart of it. So there are three things that make the product page incredibly valuable. Point number one is that the product page is the final stage of the window shopping experience. So the consumer knows that the product page, beyond the product page, he's going to or she's going to have to pull out a credit card. Now we have like 150,000 years of evolution that have trained us not to take those kind of ridiculous risks. So there's a lot of emotional baggage with going beyond the product page. And consumers have been shopping now online for 20 years. They know exactly how the game works. So what we find in, in, in recordings and what we find in analytics data is the way shoppers behave is very interesting. Before they get to the product page, they're just flitting around the website. They're just moving around like crazy, clicking on everything. Um, if you look at recordings, they're spending very little time on specific parts of the website. Then they get to the product page and they come to a, like this incredible grinding halt. And that tells me, first of all, that that's an important stage in the journey. The other reason why product pages matter so much is because it's the product page where the consumer is making this fundamental existential choice of do I want to buy this product or do I not want to buy this product? They're not saying, you know, do I care about this brand? Do I not care about this brand? It's really very specific to the product. So that's another reason why the product page really, really matters. And the third reason why it matters so much is because of the shifts that are happening with advertising. So, you know, back in the day, and again, I've done this for so long that I've seen so many transformations. The way advertising was done on Google PPC was that you would search for running shoes, you would see an ad for Zappos, and that would take you to a category page or take you to a, a specific landing page that kind of talked about why Zappos was the place to buy running shoes. With Google PLA ads, so product listing ads, when you do a search, you actually see a bunch of image styles that appear below the search results. These are all paid listings, but when you click on them, Unless if you like do some severe programming, the default setting is it's going to take you to the product page. So for the consumer, for, you know, this is one of the conversations that I have with a lot of CEOs. They say, you know, I am an e-commerce business and I have 50 different products and that's who I am. Well, that's their definition of what they do. For the consumer who is looking for a blender, for example, or a running shoe, when they do a, a Google search and they see an image, they click on it, which takes them to the specific product page of a website they've never been to before. Your entire website is one product. Your product page is your homepage. It is everything. It is, it is where the consumer is making that decision. So just based on trends in advertising um, is also now putting a lot more pressure on 
getting the product page right. So those are the three reasons why product pages matter so much. That's really interesting. I love that it's the last spot where they go from window shopping to actual purchase consideration. And I think that's a really important thing to remember when we're looking at a product page is like Joe was saying before, there's a lot of, hey, I need to build all of this together. The product page is like that, la- like the last stop they're going to make. And when it's that last stop they're going to make, what would you say is the most important piece of information to be on that product page? I've done all my exploring. You said I'm frantically moving around the site. I end up here. In your opinion, if there's one thing that needs to be there, what is it? That's also a really good question. I can speak to this from experience more than anyone else I know. I've done more testing on product pages. And again, we didn't have a horse in the race. All I knew was that something weird was happening on product pages that was giving me these incredibly beautiful results in a predictable way, which is magic for a CRO person. But I didn't know why. I don't know what was happening on the product page. So when we got to the product page, we tested everything. The images below the the main, you know, the images that, that, that are showcased, we tested images. We said, you know, should we show certain images? Should we not show certain images? We tested adding video, removing video. Uh, we tested the layout of the page. We tested drawing more attention to customer reviews. We tested all of that, but we also tested the product description. And it was again on the product description that we were like, whoa, we're having this incredible correlation to making changes to description, having these unexpectedly good outcomes in terms of purchase intent. So I would say the answer is that if you want to go on a 12-year journey and figure out yourself, that's great. But if you want to get to it right now, I would say forget everything on your website, get to the product page, forget everything on the product page and just focus in on your product description and see the magic happen. Now, is this words written word in the product description you feel can be the most and easiest thing to tackle first. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know how easy it is to tackle words. What I can tell you is that it has the highest effectiveness uh, in terms of uh, changing purchase intent. That's, That's my goal. My goal is we want to change the purchase intent. And again, the lens through which I'm looking at the product page is very specific. And I should mention that so listeners can can contextualize what I'm saying. We are only, our entire program of optimization on product pages is focused on converting more first-time buyers. We're not focused on increasing average order value. We're not focused on many of the other things that are important. We're basically asking a question like, we had 50,000 people that came to our product page, 98% of them or 97% of them puked and left the website. What do we need to do (laughs) to fix that leak? And so I'm looking really at people who've never made a purchase before. So they don't know who the brand is. And if they're aware of the brand, they don't know what this product does. If they're aware of the product, they don't know why this product is the best in the world. Those are the types of questions that I'm dealing with. So our whole conversion optimization focus is on converting those first-time buyers. And there's one thing that I hear a lot, and it's actually, I I feel like we have this debate, Joe, at, at Loop quite often is when we're talking about like descriptions or written word is long, short. I feel like I we, we get a lot of uh, discussions going at loop like, oh, it's a bit long. Can we shorten that? What do you see on like for a product description? I'm not looking for like an ideal length here, but like, does it matter? It's a very fundamentally important question. And there are so many cardinal sins that happen when it comes to product pages. You know, we talked about the content length and I'm going to give you an example, a specific case study, but I also want to talk about draw attention to font sizes. There is this over-reliance on design and aesthetics that almost like trains us to kind of reduce the font size quite a bit. And the data is so clear on this that 16 pixels is what you need to approximate the font size of a book 
um, at a distance. So 16 pixels is really what you're looking for. And I find that, you know, 80% of websites have ridiculously small font sizes. The problem is that if the font size is small, then the brain has to work extra hard because now the brain is doing two steps. Step number one, it's, it's actually increasing the font size in the processing and then it's reading the content. And so that adds a lot of cognitive load um, and that can really hurt conversion rates. But the other question you brought up was the length of the description. This is a very important question and I deal with this a lot. It itself is a, a whole episode, but what I'm going to give you here is a very one aspect of how we deal with this. We had a choice, which was that we were working for a client that sells an air purifier. And the choice was, look, this is an $800 item and we need to identify the perfect length of content for this page, which is a loaded question. It's a, it's a fake question because there's no answer to that question. Now, one way to do it is to survey your audience buyers and to essentially calculate the proportions of their proportions. So for example, we know there are two types of buyers. We know there are people that are methodical and we know that there are people that are skimmers. Now skimmers by definition don't want to read 10 paragraphs worth of content. Methodical shoppers by definition do because they, they care about those details. So one of the choices that brands sometimes make is they'll say, let's interview people that have bought from us and let's find out how many of those buyers were methodical versus impulsive. And let's say that methodical is 80% of their audience. They'll be like, you know what? That's a big group of our, that's a big part of our audience. Let's create content for them. I don't like to make those kind of trade-offs. Uh, my whole thought was, what if we could satisfy both of those buyers? And so we came up with a ridiculously simple idea, which I've never seen on any other e-commerce product page before. But here's what we did. You get to the product page, there's a product description. We give us very minor elevator pitch. It's We're not talking about all the details, but just enough so you can orient yourself. You can confirm to yourself that you're on the right product page. It has the right kind of attributes that you'd care about. And below that, we added two buttons and we simply asked, how much time do you have today? And one button said, I have two minutes or two minutes. And the other button said, I have time. And our thought was that a methodical shopper will probably want to click on I have time because they care about details and someone who wants the summary would click on two minutes. And based on what they selected, if they selected two minutes, we showed them just the elevator page, just talking about the core details of what makes this air purifier the best in the world. It had all the right information, but summarized for this type of buyer. And if they clicked, if they made the mistake of clicking I have time, we threw everything at them. We showed them like four pages worth of content. And what we calculated was, and again, we're looking at pure statistical outcomes. We looked at the overall conversion rate impact of this already bestseller and conversion rates went up by 30.5%. Wow. By simply allowing the user to tell us who they are and what they care about and then showing them the stuff that they care about, we massively improved conversion rates. So to me, we don't have to make that Sophie's choice of, should we go with long form content or short content? Let the user decide what they care about. One thing that's jumping out of me here is like how a brand is hearing this information for the first time. They're probably chomping at the bit to go back to their product page. But then there's this dance that's happening on the product page between the photography, which I think we all cheat toward. We need great, beautiful photography. That's what shoppers care about. And then the add to cart button, which is the ultimate goal. And so we've got these elements that are now happening on screen and, and this content that we want to create a space for. Um, is there a proper space to put this description like next to the visual before the button? Have you given that uh, any experimentation or thought? Yeah, a lot of it. And I would say the safe place to start is 
Don't have to touch any of those elements. Let it be. Let those let those stay. But do it at the top of your product description. So wherever your product description is, however much real estate you have for it, don't change the layout of the page. But just instead of showing two paragraphs worth of content and just saying that's, you know, that's all we'll show, show one paragraph of content and then below that say, you know, how much time do you have or do you want to learn more or whatever it is, let the user make a what we call active participation. We want the user, marketers have spent too much time making predictions about users and I think that's not the right thing to do. Let the users participate in that journey. And I'm, you know, ultimately the job of a pro- you know, I'm a copywriter second and I'm a salesperson first. My job is to actually co- effectively communicate what the product does. And it's not about the way I want to communicate it. It's, it's about me communicating it in a way that makes sense to my audience. So I love the idea of including the audience in the sales presentation, which is the product page, and letting them self-select and tell me who they are, how much time they have, have they ever bought this type of product before? All of those questions are important, and we actually inject all of that into our copywriting, and then based on their selections, we personalize it. So to answer your question, Joe, my recommendation is to start first experimenting with the opening of the product description. Don't change the layout of the page. Run an A-B test. See what kind of numbers you're getting. I can already predict the outcome. And once you see that it's working, then you can start experimenting with like, okay, how do we make this even more visible and things like that. But the place I would start is at the designated product description that's on your page right now. It sounds like you're putting a very heavy emphasis on the written word. And I think that it's interesting because I feel like the industry does not. I feel like when we talk e-commerce, like like Joe was saying, it's product shots, it's videos. And like, I actually wanted to get your opinion on that because one thing I'm seeing shopping around a lot more is I'm getting a lot of product videos when I hit a product page. Like, what are your thoughts on video versus static images? Have you seen one work better than the other? Also, a great question. Both the points you made are very valid. There is 100% a secular trend towards shortening the content. That's certainly happening. It's the wrong trend. And all the data that we have from testing suggests that you can actually get massive improvements by expanding the product description. The other point you brought up was around video. That's also a very interesting trend. There is so much data on it and there's so much experimentation that we've done. Uh, And what we find is the video length. A lot of times clients are concerned about short form video versus five minute long video. Who's going to watch it? The data is very clear on this. any type of video is better than not having video. Um, and it's 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 basically not even, it's not even a comparison. So video massively improves conversion rates, which brings up a really good question. Well, if video is so important, then maybe the copy isn't as important. And I have a very specific answer to that question. Here's how I look at it. Video actually is superior to copy. So I actually look up to video. I think video is the ultimate form. But here's what's amazing about copy is that copy is malleable. I can change the copy a hundred times in a month. The video is super, super expensive. So the way we look at optimization is that we optimize the copy. We keep on optimizing until we've improved your overall conversion rate to the product page by like 60%, for example. And at some point we reach what we call a local maxima. We, We can't push the needle further. It's just all the friction, all the fat has been taken away. Then we say, okay, how do we convert this copy? Because we know that there is a proclivity for video for certain types of buyers. So we take what we've learned from the copy, we convert it into a video script and we make that into a video. So that's the point when we triple down on video. I love that. Everyone listening, 
words are malleable. And like we run into this on, on our website too, is like we can change the copy really easily. It's something that we can always change. It's very easy to test and video like expensive. Yes, but also time consuming and being able to like put the right story in there. And I guess like maybe a follow-up question to that is like, as you're starting to craft this copy, like how do you start to hone in on, you've referred to it as the story a couple times here. It's like, as I'm building this page, like I make an incremental improvement, I make an incremental improvement. Like how do you evaluate what that next step is to start to unravel like the full story that when we get there, we should turn into video. But how do I make those like small steps towards that? So that's a that's a really good question, and it's a it's a complicated question because it doesn't satisfy the scope of this this conversation right now. We can potentially have a follow up conversation, but what I want to tell you here is that there is a whole science. Um, I'm not just focused on product pages as a destination. We've actually built a whole science of copywriting. We have a very specific formulation for how we write copy it uses nine principles of buyer psychology so that itself is a is a very kind of like a universe in itself and, and it, it requires a lot of like discussion but what i can tell your readers right now listeners right now there are two elements that they can start working on right away that's going to unlock incredible amounts of incredible copy for them there are two questions we ask when we first start working with a brand is this is what the consumer is asking, which is why we exist and why this product must exist. These are two fundamental questions. And I want to kind of unpack them a little bit. So why we exist is a question that the consumer is asking because the consumer is drowning in options and they're seeing all of these ads that are promising to solve the same problem. And the consumers doesn't even want to give us their attention. They don't even want to like they're not even engaged unless the brand can explain to them why the heck the brand even exists. That's a fundamental question. And a lot of times founders don't have a good answer for it. They have a terrible answer for it. So we actually go through an interrogation process where we keep on peppering them with this question over and over again till we get to the soul of it. Because the fact is that there is a reason why they exist. There is a reason why they have a successful business. There is a reason why they get out of bed. They may not know how to articulate it, because they're, they're so kind of in the center of the storm that they don't realize it, but there's a reason. So we need to extract that. So this question of why we exist is fundamental. And immediately after that, the consumer asks another question. The consumer is a very unreasonable animal. You know, he or she is not really interested in making our life easy, And but by understanding them, we can actually better service their needs. So they first ask this question of why we exist. You solve that question and they immediately have the next question, which is why this product must exist. Now pay attention to my phrasing. I said, why this product must exist. It's a very different question than saying why this product exists, why this product is better than 10 other products. It is an existential question. We're saying in this universe, what would have happened if this product didn't exist? And you have to paint a story, you have to kind of craft a story that actually explains how the specific physical form of a product or software or whatever it is that you're selling fits in to the story arc of someone's life. And so those two questions, I would say, listeners can start working with right away. And, and you'll get some really interesting insights. But once you've solved that, then we have a whole different uh, buyer psychology process for how to formulate the, the description, which we won't get into today. But I would say that this itself would be very valuable. Just look at your website, look at your best-selling product, and then on a piece of paper, write this question, why we exist, and then start writing your answer and see how it sounds. 
It's going to sound pretty horrible for the first 10 attempts, but you'll nail it. And then ask yourself this other question, why this product must exist? Because the reason why I'm asking these questions is not because I'm trying to make increase their work is because every single day or a hundred times in a day when a new visitor lands on their product page that's exactly their sub the question that there's the consumer's subconscious the consumer actually doesn't even know that they're asking this question actually if you interviewed them they would never ask those questions but their subconscious is asking those questions every year here's an interesting statistic every year 20,000 consumer products are launched 98 percent of them fail 20,000 consumer products already in a world where we have like maybe like 5 million consumer products. So my point is that there's just too many options out there. And so consumers are using these mental shortcuts to know if they should, you know, the brain takes 20% of the entire energy that of the body, uh, even though it's 4% of our mass. So it's a very power hungry device. And evolution has trained us not to expend energy worthlessly. So the brain is constantly asking, I don't want to do this. Do I really need to do this? And so these questions of why you exist and why this product must exist are fundamental questions. If you don't answer them, you will 100% get an exit rate from your product page. I love what you said there about how we have this competing re relationship with our brain when we're looking at something that we love on the product page and the brain jumps in and starts inserting all of these questions like, yes, maybe the brand is something that I love and I need in my life. And yes, maybe this product is something that I love as well. But what we see a lot on the return side or is this general theme of confidence to purchase. And usually what gets in the way of your confidence is fear, uncertainty, doubt, apathy. There are all of these feelings that start to creep in as your mouse goes over and hovers on the head to cart button. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'd love to hear your take on how you then address things, those types of questions as they come up with the customer. Are there specific tactics that you've seen implemented that address fear, uncertainty, and doubt and get over that hump? That's a great question. That's kind of like our whole nine point framework, um, which is, you know, I, I don't think it'll be practical for the listeners to talk about because it's it's quite detailed. What I can tell you is that there is a very specific framework that addresses exactly those fears, uncertainties, and doubts. Um, there's a lot more to it. Uh, price justification is something we deal with a lot because when the consumer is on a, you know, people don't have, this is the thing, if you are selling an air purifier for $870, do you think that the consumer have this has this like amazing ability to say 870 seems high, but 865 would be acceptable. We have no notion of how much things cost. Money is a made up concept. So the when you go to a product page, the consumer actually has no point of reference. The What the consumer does have is that, is it value for money? That, that, that the consumer is able to pick up on. So we do something called price justification where we actually explain why it's a good value for money, because that's the question that the consumers think about. So we have like a very specific nine point process for writing copy. Um, so what I can tell listeners is that if they find what I'm saying relevant, if they find this whole idea of why we exist and why this product must exist relevant, then I think it, it behooves them to dig deeper and understand what those nine elements are and, and, and they can, you know, I'm happy to um, address that for them. I think, Joe, you brought up another very important point because I know that one of the things that Alex mentioned to me was, because I think this is a little bit of a conflict that's happening and I want to address it because there's a lot of misunderstanding around this. Alex talked about lifetime value and talked about retention and how that's really important to you guys. And I think there is a miss, I think there is like, actually, I think the CRO people are doing a lot of harm because there is such an over-reliance on we will hack conversion rates and, and that's where the story ends. Pay me, my job is done. Actually, that's not how the that's not how businesses look at it because if I can improve your conversion rates by 37% and also improve your return rates 
increase your return rates by 27%. I'm a jackass. I've actually done more harm. <laughs> you are better off not hiring me. And so for me to look at conversion optimization divorced from business implications and lifetime value and brand value, they are very related concepts. They have to be related. And if you, if you break them down into silos, you're going to get terrible outcomes. But what I want to say here is that the way I look at conversion optimization always is we never think about it as a growth hack. We look at it in terms of reducing friction. Here's what I, here's, if someone has, I'll give you an example. There's a brand out there that makes a cream, a very specific type of hand cream that is designed to minimize perspiration of the hand. Now, this is a very specific type of problem that certain consumers, certain type of consumers have. Um, so when the consumer is on this product page, and if they've spent like two minutes on this page, we already know that there is a product market fit. Why would they spend two minutes on it? So if the consumer doesn't buy, it's not because they've, it's not, it, the market, you know, the, the marketer is not trying to figure out a clever way to get Alex to buy an antiperspiration hand cream when Alex doesn't have that problem, right? The the, the point with, the, the way we look at conversion optimization is that if, if Rishi is on a product page, Rishi, based on his behavior, the fact that he spent two minutes on this page, we know that solving for this perspiration of the hand is something he cares about. We know that because that's two minutes. And if Rishi doesn't buy, then I feel that's a disservice to, to Rishi. And it's a disservice because the brand did a crappy job explaining how the product works or why it works or why it's better than other competitors. That is the extent to which we want to do optimization. It is only to the extent where we are explaining to the user what the product does, nothing beyond that. There's no countdown timers. There's no five units left. There's no Sarah from Michigan just bought crap. Um, conversion <laughs> optimization is designed to reduce friction and that's it. So I want to just make this point because it's a really important point and we don't make enough of this uh, when we talk about CRO. No, I, I love that. And it's not conversion for a growth hack. And I think that's the most important thing you said there. And a lot of those other gimmicks, like they're, they're ways to like basically hack into the psychology of a person and try to like get them to buy right now. But like you said, e-commerce, we talked about like some of the changes that are happening in advertising right now. E-commerce isn't a get someone to come and buy right now game. It like, if you want to be successful in e-commerce today, it is a, I need to get someone to come and buy this and I need them to see the value in it and come back and make another purchase. And when we remove all those hacks and gimmicks and you talked about like, why does this product, like why must this product exist and why this brand, if I can communicate that and someone makes a purchase and I'm not just talking about like what the product is, but I can talk about what the product does. I'm now actually educating as well. I get that product in my hand. I'm using it the right way. I'm more likely to come back. And I think that when we look at the product page, we don't need to think of it only in terms of like, how do I get someone to buy right now? And I think a lot of brands are doing that. We need to be thinking of it in terms of how do I get you to buy and care enough about what you just purchased to consider it again? That's right. With everything that you've been talking about today, do you think there's any brands out there that they're just doing an amazing job with their product pages that you think our listeners should go check out? There's a lot of innovation that's happening. And I spend, I would say, maybe two hours a day, if not more, just reading the product description on random websites. Because I know that, I know that, I know for a fact that Zappos is not going to innovate nearly as much as some other website that will not survive if they don't get their, those details right. So I think there's a lot of innovation happening at obscure websites that no one has ever heard of. 
Um, but of course, you know, those, those, those ideas are, you know, uh, sporadic. You know, we all have our preferences. I mean, for me personally, I'm a big fan of a Michigan-based company called Zingerman's, Z-I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N-S.com. It is a company, it is a, a retail business that sells um, baked goods. They sell uh, breads and they sell all kinds of olive oils and all kinds of exotic foods from around the world. And what I find incredible about them is just their the craftsmanship of storytelling. They're not applying psychology to, to manipulate the buyer. They But th- what they're doing is, is so beautiful because when they have a buyer who kind of sells olive oil, um, that person goes to Italy, spends some time in a very specific village, stays with the family that kind of presses the olives and then ages the olives and then packages the olives. And so that story is actually brought to the product page. And they talk about, you know, the weather in Italy and all of those things. And it's so beautiful. And I would say anyone who's listening who wants to really understand the real craftsmanship for how copy is written, even if you're selling a dog wheelchair, you might say, well, what the, what do I care about olive oil? But it's important to understand we're all selling to human beings and human beings have the same set of mental checklists to decide if we should invest our energy in a relationship or in a brand or in a product. And therefore, you can learn a lot about the art of persuasion by going to a website like Zingerman's, because remember, they're selling food and they're selling premium food. So there's a lot that's happening there. So I like looking at that website a lot. I think their descriptions are incredible, but there are lots and lots of great examples that are out there. But that's the one that comes to mind. Awesome. And we'll make sure that that gets linked in the show notes so people can check it out. And I know, Rishi, I, I follow you on LinkedIn. So I see you posting all sorts of like examples and kind of what, what you're thinking. Is there anywhere else where our listeners can be following along with you? I know you got LinkedIn, Twitter, a blog, anywhere else you want to point people to? Yeah, I would say that because I spent two to three hours a day like a madman studying e-commerce product pages of random websites that no one outside of me and the founder of that website probably have even heard of, I am finding interesting tidbits all the time. And so what I do is I collect all of them. And once a week, I share with my subscribers uh, those ideas. Some of those ideas are random, obscure, don't even make sense. But, you know, I share enough where there's always my my metric is very simple. I'm not interested in sharing like I wouldn't share with my readers uh, hey, look at this amazing video that Nike put together. Um, why don't you think about adding this video that costs $7 billion on your product page? That's ludicrous. But what I'm trying to find are like really simple contrarian ideas that they can literally swipe off and say, hey, we can do this too. We can do this in like four hours. And so I'm sharing those kind of things. So if any of the listeners are interested, the way to get there is my website, which is frictionless-commerce.com forward slash join j-o-i-n it's the only way to get to this newsletter sign up uh, it's i'm not a good marketer but if you can if you can figure out how to type frictionless-commerce.com forward slash join you will be added to the mailing list and then once a week i'll share some interesting insights so maybe we can help you out on the marketing front there rishi and we can get a link to that in the show notes so that anyone who wants to get straight there we can point them there thank you <laughs> All right, Rishi, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I learned a ton about product pages today. And I think my biggest takeaway today is the why must this product exist? So anyone listening today, like go through, take a look at your product pages and see if you think your customer is going to be able to answer that question with what you have there. From what Rishi's seeing, it's that type of description. And it's not really about the length 
of what you're putting together there. It's about just being as clear as possible on that front that is going to have the biggest impact on your conversion rates. Now, Rishi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Rishi. Thanks, Alex and Joe. It was great to be here. That's been The Exchange, presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.